Welcome to Connected Philanthropy. In today's episode, we'll discuss strategies to keep your board members connected and engaged with your important philanthropic work. This discussion comes from a recorded Coffee Talk webinar, and you'll primarily be hearing the perspectives of those who work at community foundations in this discussion. The first voice you'll hear is Margaret Owen, who moderated the discussion. So without further ado, here's Margaret. I'm going to jump into our first round of questions. So um, what are your main policies and procedures for your board of directors and committees? Um, so things to get you started in thinking here, uh, what does good governance mean to you and your organization? Um, any policies that you have found particularly helpful and why? And how well defined and circulated are your policies and procedures? Hi, I work at the Greater Tacoma Community Foundation in Tacoma, Washington. And um, one of the things that we have found really useful um, for our board of directors is when we bring on a brand new board member, um, they go through a mentorship program for a year. So they basically partner with um, a board member who has completed at least their first term, which is three years. Mm -hmm. um, so they get kind of walked through the process and have their hands held for the first year of their term. Um, and we have found that to be really useful. So yeah, <laughs> there you, you go. Know, that's, that's great. Um, I love the, uh, you know, as, as a new board member, it's, it's tough to kind of know where to dig in and understand the board culture and um, figure out how to get navigating. Um, I think that's great. How long have you guys been um, running that kind of buddy program? Uh, we have been doing it for three years now. Okay. Um, and we usually bring on between two to five new uh, board members every year. Okay. Um, so it, it also keeps the older board members engaged because yeah. when they're doing their mentoring, um, it helps, you know, keep them active as well. Yeah, that makes, that makes complete sense. That's great. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. Any other additions to Anastasia's comments? Hi, everyone. I'm Andrea Rosebell. I'm with Coastal Community Foundation in South Carolina. I'm an um, executive assistant for the finance and operations team. Um, so I really help uh, with onboarding with the new committee members that come on board. And we do it on a quarterly basis, like a, um, a board committee onboarding process. Mm -hmm. so have the board chair and the CEO conduct um, pretty much an overview of the organization and you know their responsibilities, their role, um, given an, an intro of all the other um, committees that we have on board in, in the event that they may be interested in joining those as well. Um, so that is the onboarding process that we currently do. And I believe that's on a quarterly basis for our committee um, and board members. Do you know how many board members you generally bring on a year? I'm currently, I think for the fiscal year, there are a couple, I would say four, uh, just this past uh, fiscal year, there was three that came on that were new. Um, so we do have some that don't roll over their term for a second term. Um, so that kind of gives a opening for new board members. So it kind of depends on the current board members and if they want to renew their term or not. Thank you. 
jumping into the overview of how um, a few of you are onboarding new board members and, and helping them be successful that way that brings me back to the question of you know how are you orienting them to your kind of board policies and procedures and how you as an organization navigate those hi there i'm with dufferin community foundation in ontario canada and um, we're, we're a pretty young foundation we're only three years old and we're taking a look right now on how we can build in an onboarding process and also start to, you know, build a, a, a good culture um, around and within the board because our organization has, uh, you know, it started out with a few people who were close to one another who had a vision for the foundation and then they invited other people they knew who invited other people they knew and now we're starting to reach out and diversify into the community. So I'd be really interested in hearing from people about what some of their onboarding looks like. Um, the person who just spoke talked about the quarterly onboarding and, and that was very interesting. I'd like to know what people have found has worked or not worked for them. Absolutely, I think that's a great question, Michelle. Thank you for asking it. Anybody have any thoughts for Michelle on um, positive practices that have worked for onboarding new board members or things that maybe haven't worked as well? I don't know if this necessarily ties in with onboarding in a way it does, but in a way, maybe not. Our board members have an open invitation to all of our other committee meetings. So for instance, we just had a, um, a orientation for our um, grants committee. We have two um, open grant cycles each year that our grants committee allocates about um, two, two and a half million dollars out into the community. And that was open, not just to those folks that are new to the grants committee, but also to our entire board um, to participate. So we did have probably three or four board members that participated in that, that are not necessarily new, but also, you know, may not have had exposure to that committee in the past. So um, giving them that opportunity to always kind of see what's going on in that space, I think has been helpful to um, help them understand the different avenues that they may not always be engaged with as part of um, their board role or their particular committee involvement. How often do you feel like um, board members are jumping into committees that um, they're not necessarily assigned to? Just curious. I'd, I mean, I'd say we have probably, you know, two or three on average that will come in, even though they're not part of that. Um, our board overall is 20. So, mm -hmm. you know, we have. It's great. Um, and, you know, some of those are newer, some of them are older. Um, and some just like the idea of being able to, you know, refresh. They may have served on the committee in the past and just want to see what's new and different with that committee. So, um, you know, I think we typically get, you know, at least two or three of the 20 that you know, jump into those opportunities. My name is Nicole Burrow-Behrens and I am with Greater Powasheet Community Foundation in Grinnell, Iowa. And we have kind of back to your policies and procedures question. Mm -hmm. We, when we're onboarding new board members, we have a board orientation and we used to give them a binder that had or connect or give them some sort of um, electronic connection to all of our policies and procedures, but we found that that was a bit overwhelming. And so what I do now, I've, I've sort of revamped the orientation program and I just give them 
the sexual abuse, sexual harassment policy, the conflict of interest and the confidentiality. And those are policies that board members review and sign every year at our annual meeting. And then um, I provide them with a list of other policies. And if they want to view any of those, they're always available. And we usually are reviewing or updating a certain group of policies every year. So they get involved, all the board members get involved in that. But that seems to be a bit less overwhelming than just giving, giving them the binder with everything. And there are many other things we go over, other governance documents like the bylaws. And um, we do go over those during the board orientation. But I just think that they're probably not going to retain all the information and they usually put the binder on the shelf anyway. So it's it's been better for our organization to review or to, as we're going along updating policies and procedures to just have, have provide them at that point to the full board, so. Yeah, I love that idea of, as you're kind of piecemeal reviewing policies and procedures, having uh, new board members engaged in the evaluation of those, because it does kind of give them um, a bit more skin in the game for fully understanding, um, A, what goes into creating that, and B, fully understanding um, kind of one at a time over a period of time. I think that's great. Um, looks like we have another follow-up comment by Andrea Rose Bell. Um, I wanted to share... Um... Um, piggybacking off of the binder that was just mentioned, we pretty much put our board packet together digitally, and then yeah. we save things through Adobe for e-signature, so everything is digitalized now. Um, I mean, with the bylaws, our financial information, um, just recently, they uh, I'm not a part of the Office of the President, but they had did a board retreat, which was an um, in-person uh, retreat for a whole day. I believe it was eight hours, and I believe there was a consultant that helped with the strategic planning of that, and they did an overview of, um, I guess, the three to five year plan um, for the organization. So that was kind of a really great, I guess, activity where the board members were able to meet in person, because a lot of our meetings since COVID have been all um, in Zoom. I wanted to share that uh, technology component. We also use Boardable for all of our board and committee um, uh, meetings for taking minutes and whatnot and, and board materials. So the admin team, such as me and a couple other people on the team will help um, the committee members get onboarded. A lot of them are not tech savvy, so you really do have to hold their hand. Some of them are still phone call based and you have to really walk them through. Um, some of them are pretty tech savvy and really get it. So it kind of varies, but we definitely, definitely um, applied the digital component and have started the board retreat. I think that it is finding the right balance between kind of accessibility for your board members and being able to bridge some of those gaps and making sure everybody has um, feels comfortable getting engaged in that way. So I think that's great. Um, I'm from Oil City, Pennsylvania, and I've been in my development position for about two and a half years now. Um, this is the first year we're doing this and we haven't done it yet. So I can't say that it's been great or it's been terrible, but we have hired an outside consultant to do two Zoom trainings for all of our board members. We have um, three affiliates and then a board of directors that governs our whole organization. So we're doing one module that's a sense of where you are. And it is the overview of what a community foundation is, specifically what we're doing, and um, just 
you know, standards and best practices for community foundations in general, just to get everybody on the same page in that sense. And then the next module will be fund development at community foundations. And that's where we'll get into like the different types of giving, the different types of funds, the different ways that they can take that information out into the community, just really to get everybody on the same page, because we have board members who they attend the meetings, but sometimes it doesn't really seem like they know what we're doing. <laughs> Absolutely. I um, love kind of the, not necessarily, you know, hiring an outside consultant is not necessarily an option for all people, but generally, you know, leveraging other resources and people um, um, and expertise in, in various areas to help move your mission along. I think that's great. So as far as recruiting and bringing on new board members. We've already touched a little bit on the orientation piece of it, but um, let's talk about how um, how you go and find new board members and find board members that are representative of, of your community, um, who are good fits, passionate about your mission. Um, how um, are you guys reaching into your communities to find these new folks? Hi, um, I'm probably the old lady of the group. I've been here 21 years and I inherited a cool little um, matrix, if you will, where we look and see where we've got holes on our board. And so at the top of the matrix has things like education, agriculture, legal, et cetera. Yeah. And then on the other side, we try to put our current board members in a box. So yeah. we click through that. Then we just identify, for instance, do we have a good mix of ages? Do we have a good mix of genders? Do we have a nice mix of um, occupations. And then we have a committee that meets to recruit and identify people in our community that could help us um, keep our very nice mix on our board. And that works extremely well. And then we just keep a list of prospects that we bring to the meeting in case there's some names that we want to bring forward each year. So each year we do that in October, get the board to approve the slate vote on that in November and then recruit and then our annual meetings in March. That's great. Have you found, um, I'm sure many people would be interested in that matrix. Um, have you found it at all a challenge to kind of fill that comprehensive view? Um, yes. Uh, we're in the middle of Nebraska. Um, so we're pretty, I'm just going to say it, we're pretty white here. And so, you know, we are challenged to find people of color, uh, people with a different culture. Um, some of the blue collar jobs, you know, aren't represented well because they can't make it to a noon meeting. So we're always working on that. Um, the beautiful thing is we're really working hard to make a, make a intentional effort to get younger people in our community involved. And so by guessing their age, you know, and putting them in a matrix, it feels creepy to be in a box, right? But it's, <laughs> it's nice to go out and recruit because when I first started, they were all older people in our community that were well-established. And I feel like now we really do look like our community. That's great. Thank you, Judy. Appreciate you sharing that. Hi, everyone. I'm Leah Schaefer. I'm the director of the Community Trust Foundation. We're located in Cumberland, Maryland, but we serve three counties that straddle two states. So we are um, Allegheny and Garrett counties in Maryland and Mineral County in West Virginia. And each of our counties have unique demographics, culture, geography. Uh, so we, several years ago, developed advisory councils and advisory council in each county um, made up of movers and shakers that meet 
twice a year at this point, and they give us feedback on how we can improve our message, our outreach, um, attract donors within those counties. And so these advisory councils become our pipeline to our board. Uh, these individuals begin to learn the ins and outs of our um, organization and become easier recruits for our board. And then each year, our board evaluates our makeup and what skill set or representation we're lacking. And then we um, evaluate by looking at our um, advisory council makeup to see if we have somebody there that would feed well into our board. It does not mean we don't take board members that have not been on the advisory council. It's just that our experience has shown that it's an easier transition. You can kind of orient people there, gauge their commitment, engagement. There's there's a lot to be said for kind of that first tier of involvement and then moving that to more of a board level also gives a sense of progression and continuity. I think that's great, Leah. Hi, uh, this is Kitty Friedman from Park City Community Foundation in Park City, Utah. Nice to see you all or hear you all and see both of you. Um, I wanted to share one of the things that we're doing. So we think about our board. We also have committees that have, um, we have bylaws that uh, make space for non-board members on our committees so that we get a broader range of experience and voices around some of our committee tables. And we just have a way of making sure that we stay roughly at 50-50 of board member and non-board member. And then like probably many of you in the community foundation world, we also have grants committee members who are not also board members. And in that space, in our grants committee space, um, we have also used, um, we, are start, we are compensating board members because we want a wide range of voices and we recognize that the opportunity to include community members who are closest to um, the issues and, and um, work that we are trying to fund or solve for with our funding, um, may also have other obligations that do not, um, that require leaving a job in the middle of the day or childcare needs. And so we have used a compensation strategy for our, um, some of our grants committees. And um, we sort of navigated that in a couple of iterations. And um, the way that it's done now is that we offer it um, to everyone. And then if you don't feel that you're in a position to need that, then you can work with the organization to, um, to not take the comp not take this, the, um, the stipend, but, um, but certainly that has been a really, really important part of valuing people for their time and their, um, intellectual capacity and their, um, expertise and also recognizing that we're trying to limit barriers to who sits, um, around our grant making table. So I just share that for something that we've implemented over the last just about year or so um, at Park City Community Foundation. Hi, this is Melanie Garcia from the Wayne County Community Foundation in Worcester, Ohio. And I have more of a question. Um, when it comes to recruiting trustees, our bylaws are written in such a way that we are required to have representation from all the different communities that make up our county. So to have three people from Worcester, two people from this community, and so many from certain quadrants of the county. And that does impact our ability to get the diversity that we're looking for, because um, like the speaker in Nebraska mentioned, we're in rural Ohio and mm -hmm. we don't have um, as much ethnic diversity, um, especially when we're required to have a board member from a particular part of the county. 
Um, so wondering if any of the other community foundations have those um, geographic restrictions on, on where their board members need to be from. And if so, how do you balance that with the diversity? So just to speak on the diversity component of our organization, um, we don't have a written rule on that you should be a, a member of our community or the uh, nearby communities, um, but it's sort of a unexpected condition. That said, we are working on um, getting more diversity on our board. Um, it is something that's been brought up to us uh, just because of our community. We are quite diverse, but it's only been in the last, say, 30 years that we've got almost equality between um, the uh just visibility of the other groups as well as the. Um, my name's Jane Schmidt and I'm with the Catholic Foundation of Northeast Kansas. Um, I was just going to comment to recruiting um, new committee members in regards to we host a continuing education program here. And last year we had it on Zoom. Um, and at the end of our continuing education program, we had an exit survey. And one of the exit survey questions simply was, would you be interested in serving on our continuing education um, committee? So people, obviously, some were clicked yes. So it was just a matter of just asking the question and then following up and reaching out to them with a phone call and saying, hey, you click this on our exit survey, would you be willing to um, move forward with being a committee member? And from just that easy question on an exit survey, we were able to recruit four new um, committee members. So sometimes it's just asking the simple question I found with just this one particular committee um, that now we have very, very active four new board members on the committee. So that's great. Yeah, it really is find, finding the right audience and finding the right way to capture that information and following up. I think that, um, you know, that kind of those feedback loop and feedback surveys are a great way to do that. Thank you for sharing, Jane. Let's talk about committees a little bit. Um, as far as most productive committees and why, um, what is the role of committee leadership in your organization? So how are you leading those committees? Um, and are you finding that the way you've structured committees are a positive pattern for engagement? I am Laura Lavalley. I'm with the Community Foundation of Northwestern Alberta in Canada. Um, just a couple of comments here. We have um, three committees at the moment, a financial stewardship committee that helps us with our investment portfolio management. Um, we have a governance committee that helps us review policies annually. And then we actually currently have an advancement committee, which is basically sort of in place to help us um, with development. And I can tell you that in our experience, this last committee has been floundering um, for years in that there's never really a, a clear purpose and clear direction. And uh, there's lots of idea generation, but really, um, nothing ends up happening at the committee level. So we're looking at revamping this again. And uh, we, we find that our financial stewardship committee and our governance committees are very well-rounded, very well-attended. People are very engaged because they clearly understand what their purpose is and what they're gathering to help us work on. And so I guess that would be my main comment is that we, I think it's really important to, um, have it be very evident what the why is of that committee so that we're not 
wasting people's time and energy and that they walk away from a committee meeting feeling very productive. So that's certainly our challenge right now. Great, Laura. Thanks for sharing that. I think that that probably um, is not a unique experience um, in, in varying capacities. Um, does anybody have a story around how they may have uh, changed up that landscape or, or found some good tractions with committees that um, might be floundering a little bit? Uh, Melanie Garcia, Wayne County Community Foundation in Ohio. Um, I am new to the position of executive director and new to foundations in general. Um, <clears throat> so I come from more of a corporate background. So I'm starting to come in and see things very differently. Um, and one of the committees that I inherited was a development committee, which is probably very similar to the advancement committee that the previous speaker mentioned. And I had the opposite problem in that I feel that too many responsibilities have been lumped into that development category. And so um, they've become, they are kind of the marketing committee, the PR committee, the uh, reaching out to professional advisors like CPAs and, and um, tax attorneys. And it feels like that committee is meeting all the time and the other committees, the other committees meet very rarely. So um, I kind of like the idea of breaking it into an advancement committee separate from a marketing and, and PR committee. And I feel like maybe too much got lumped into that committee and that the, the, the uh, responsibilities are, um, we put too many responsibilities into one basket. So I'm interested to hear if other foundations have a specific you know, marketing PR committee separate from um, advancement because ours is all lumped up into what they call development and it seems uh, overburdened. So I'd love to hear other comments on that. Um, we actually at Coastal Community Foundation have a communications and marketing committee. So this past fiscal year, they help with our enterprise messaging. So they really help with the planning with that. Um, we have about what eight, nine, we have nine committees, including the ad hoc committee. Um, so I, I do believe it is very helpful to have those breakouts of those subcommittees um, to definitely get, dive in deeper in other initiatives. For instance, in our investment committee, I believe with the responsibilities, it varies. This past year, we went through a RFP uh, process and we had to do interviewing. And so there was a lot of commitment and time for the committee members this time around. Um, but as of moving forward, we wouldn't be needing to meet that often, but it kind of varies. So my top thing is finding the time that everyone can meet making sure to set out, you know, the, the year, not just the quarterly meetings, but in between, because we definitely want to make sure that these people have the time um, dedicated for this, um, because they, they are other community leaders in the community, and, and we definitely want to be mindful um, that we, you know, they're available. So that's kind of my challenge, um, is having the plan around um, the committee schedules and making sure we get that established for the fiscal year and get that um, invite out. Yeah, I was just going to comment to breaking out. Um, I'm with the Catholic Foundation of Northeast Kansas and ours are broken out also with an executive committee of finance, um, investment committee, a marketing committee, and a strategic planning committee. So ours, we have that division with different committees also. Yeah, I just had a question for the groups that have these various committees. Um, are they comprised of your board members that sit on your board of directors? 
I'm asking because our board of directors is probably around um, 12 people right now. And I just, I, do you see, you know, a lot of the same people sitting on these same committees? I mean, we have a couple super engaged board members who it seems like they're on every committee. And I just wanted to know how these other organizations are managing um, getting committees comprised of different people. Uh, yeah, so um, our board members uh, represent the their chairs of just about every um, every committee. So we actually have seven different committees, um, and then comprising the rest of it is actually community members. Um, usually, it falls within their either career or um, skill set. So, like for our um, finance committee, most of them are financial advisors. Um, we have the, um, or like the treasures, such like that. But um, yeah, part of it is just reaching out because not everybody has the time to be a board member, which is why we brought, brought it down that those who are interested in chair a committee, and then we have community members who sit on the committees themselves. And then it also gives us a pool for future board members. Judy Sickler, Kearney Area Community Foundation in Nebraska. We have monthly board meetings um, our committees are scheduled to meet monthly, but we do um, cancel them if we feel like there's not a good, strong agenda. Um, we got away from our executive committee meeting monthly because the board started to fall back thinking they were just rubber stamping what the executive committee was doing. So we rarely meet unless there's a contract or like my uh, salary review, my you know initial um, annual review and then they take that of course to the full board so that helped tremendously we had more buy-in when decisions were made at the board level um, we used to have six committees and felt like uh, it was way too many to coordinate and people were not attending so we grouped those into three we just felt like less is more by having less committees Great. So I'm Chelsea Holmes Matz, and I am executive director at the Gratiot County Community Foundation in Michigan. Um, just coming up on being a year in my role here. So question I have, and I think I saw it in some of the kind of communication out for this conversation was ways overall that we all are connecting in with our board, right? If there's some creative ways, if there's different events, if there's kind of, I mean, we talked about kind of the standard processes within a board meeting, right? But and especially thinking through the pandemic, um, you know, I stepped in my role in the middle of a pandemic. I have yet to meet in person with uh, my board. We're looking at potentially some, you know, board retreat coming up, but are there other things maybe you've all done kind of pre-pandemic or in this pandemic world to engage more, you know, is there kind of some social settings? Um, again, maybe more thinking kind of outside the box or in a creative way. Um, just if we have a little bit of time, I figured I'd throw that out there, so. For sure, thank you, Chelsea. Um, yeah, any... Um... Uh, so I'm new to the, um, the foundation. And so I, I would say that these ideas are untested, um, but uh, one of the ways that we've been trying to engage or we are planning to engage um, board members is, um, a couple times a year after an in-person board meeting, um, we're inviting the board members for dinner and inviting their, their spouses to come along so that it ends up being a little bit more of a sort of community of um, people talking. And then the other thing also related to um, dinners is that I'm working with a, a few board members to host um, what, they're, what we're calling supper clubs. Um, so we invite an interesting speaker to come to the supper club 
you know, the, um, the uh, donor invites his friends or her friends to come. Um, they have an, you know, a reason to go because of the, you know, sort of famous or interesting speaker, but it also gives us a chance to get in front of people um, talking about the work of the foundation. So we kind of frame it, or we're planning on framing it as them, um, the needs of our county or, you know, where the gaps and, you know, how are we addressing them sort of thing. And then, you know, might have somebody who's doing interesting work around, you know, affordable housing or, you know, food security and how, you know, farmers are working with new technologies, something that's sort of tangentially related, really interesting, but then mm -hmm. gives us an opportunity to speak about um, what we're doing. Um, I think that's great. I love the community building aspects after that. Um, always up for hearing an interesting and relevant speaker. So I think those are uh, great ideas, Monica. Thank you for sharing. Just gonna talk about the um, volunteering aspect of volunteering together as a board, as a day of giving mm -hmm. um, to bond with the board. Um, also develop some personal connections and some fostering some trust um, with a designating a time um, to go volunteer and be out in the community that um, is near and dear to um, your foundation or to your organization. There's nothing like seeing a board in action, um, living their faith um, in regards to your mission statement, which I also think, um, which we started this year is reading our mission statement before every board meeting, just so the board members have it front of mind um, before the meeting ever gets started, um, just going over our mission statement and our vision statement and just making sure we're living, living that, um, every, every meeting. Um, I think that's, that's a great, keeping that front of mind is, um, a great, great approach and helps ground people in, in why you're having the conversation. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Jane. Okay, well, that seems like it's going to wrap up our conversation for today. Thank you so much for uh, participating today, and we look forward to seeing you guys on our next Donor Coffee Talk. So that was our conversation. New episodes of Connected Philanthropy release every other Monday, so make sure you subscribe if you'd like to hear more conversations like this. Connect directly with other members of the philanthropic community by joining Community foundant.com. From all of us here at Foundant, thanks for connecting.